Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Alex Coos. I'm Tom Annis. I'm Brinson Williams. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! As you can hear, the beautiful sounds of the scrying gems. Only time you ever hear me sing, not really, but on the um, podcast, I'll try not to sing too much. So, but I'm happy to have the Scrying Gems back for a Clash of Kings meta watch. How are you guys doing? I'm happy to have you on the show. Doing good. Yeah, great times. Happy to have Alex on the show and Tom take a break from beating me with halflings to grace us with your voice <laughs> on this episode. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going to mix it up. Yeah, spoiler alert halflings are looking pretty saucy. Saucy, saucy and spicy, well-seasoned, but we'll get to that. Our last Grind Gems episode that we did before Masters, where we thought about what's the meta, what are the sort of archetypes are we looking for in competitive play, what's good, what's maybe too good. We're going to sort of take a quick look back and see, has, has anything really changed since Masters? You know we've had some new Night Stalkers, some new Northern Alliance. What sort of seasoning has that uh, thrown into the pot? So we can kind of get a sense of where the armies are at now. So that when we talk about some of the class changes, we'll sort of be looking looking at it through that lens. Like, where were we before? And then what are some ways that we might be going? So super excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, why don't we do a quick hobby roundup, see what everyone's up to. Britton, why don't we start with you first? What are you up to hobby-wise? I am doing my year of Abyssal Dwarves, which is me trying to, for once in my life, focus on one army and not switch every week and bring underpracticed late-painted armies to every tournament. So that's been going good. I did sort of a kind of joke version of it at Last Masters with a ton of defense six and shooting. And so now I've been doing what I kind of consider to be like eating my vegetables, uh, which is painting like six to eight regiments of just dwarf infantry, abyssal dwarf infantry, just to have kind of all the different options I could possibly want for for lists going forward. So I'm, I'm in the middle of that sort of slog of just like cranking out regiment after regiment of infantry. And alongside of that, for the fun thing, is I'm doing a, a massive nostalgia project where I am building the Eldar army I wish I had in 1993. So old, you know, 30 to 40 year old GW metal models and just making the army teenage Brinton lusted after in White Dwarf. So that's just started. So that's like the gamer's version of I'm going to go out and get the hot girlfriend I always wanted when I was a teenager. You know, but now it's like you're doing the, the army you want. This is absolutely like the the middle aged gamer version of like buying a, <laughs> buying a Trans Am or like a Porsche. <laughs> yeah, the car that was big in your youth, right? You're like, it's not like yeah. you don't want to buy the new sports car. You want to go get the nice version of what you wanted to have when you were that age. It's absolutely that, but it's been fun. But from a Kings of War standpoint, I've just been like messing about with more and more Abyssal Dwarves. Yeah, because you're usually kind of like a new army each year sort of guy, right? So this is uh, always new projects. So you're trying to build, flush this one out a little bit, basically. Yeah, I, in the past, I have always told myself when I started a project, I'm going to paint like a bunch of different units and play this for a while. And then I have to rush for some event because I take way too long to paint and I get just exactly what is in that event's list painted. And 
I sort of mentally break myself while I'm doing it and never, never want to paint whatever that skin color is again and step away from the army for a while. So I only have that very specific list and then I'm demotivated from playing it or changing it. So that's a, a habit I am trying, a cycle I am trying to break this time. My goal is to paint at least one of every unit in the army, sometimes multiples, and just crank it out and have fun. So we'll see how that lasts. Yeah, you're being the change you want to see in the world, you know, not just have the one list, but have some variety, some equity. You want to treat all the units in the army with the same love and attention. That's good. Absolutely. So then when they get, you know, buffed or nerfed, I am not as broken a, yeah. a person after that happens. No miniatures needing to be set on fire because you have a, a, a nice selection. I have all of it. Well, what about you, Tom? I know Alamo is just around the corner. Yes, I am in the middle of Samurai Showdown, which was back in September, uh, which I took finally for the first time in third edition, brought back the Basalians and did pretty well with them. I was on the top table last round uh, with a chance to to win the whole thing. Unfortunately, Empire Dust is, is my new public enemy number one and and didn't quite go the way I wanted to in the last game, but had fun bringing them back to the table. Now, yeah, Alamo's coming up in two weeks. Now, I have to ask you, were you narcissistic and self-flagellation in the spirit of the base alien trademark priesthood that you took knights or you didn't go that far? Oh, no, I didn't take knights, no. Yeah, but what, what, what fool takes knights to a tournament? That's all I have to say about Basalia. so moving on. How many phoenixes <laughs> did you take? I had two phoenixes, and that was okay. the first time I've ever played with them, and they are damn amazing. Phoenixes are easy mode, right? Britain, you know me. I don't try to make it hard on myself. So, But yeah, so Alamo's coming up. I am taking Night Stalkers to that, um, a pretty balanced Night Stalker list. Doing that, bar- basically borrowing armies where I- while I'm trying to find the time in my life to put together my halflings, which I'm now getting shamed by my clubmates for for not making progress on. So I am furiously trying to correct that. Jeremy, you know, having played against them in their new Clash of Kings version, they're they're pretty darn good. And especially against every, you know, the new hotness, the new boogeyman, which is the Twilight Kin. So that is definitely motivating me now that they are maybe a power army. I don't know. We'll see. I think it's a discussion that we're going to have tonight because I think it's one where there is an argument for them being one of the top armies now. So uh, not only with their inherent power, but what other people are going to be playing as a counter army, you know, I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, they're definitely not half bad. It's always nice just to, to start a, a project as a hobby project and it, they'll turn to be a, a good army. That's like winning the lottery, right? Oh, I love these guys. They're so cute. Oh, they they kill things now? Oh, sign me up. Right. How many events did you play with them before they got good? Zero. I don't even have I rest any. my case. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've been having a good time playing playing with them. It's funny being on uh, playtesting and, and all of that everybody's sort of initial reaction about the Twilight Kin was my initial reaction. And then you start thinking about how do I find counters to the, the lightning bolt 42 list and, and figuring all that out. And so I'm, I'm just a few months ahead of everybody, but I'm enjoying the, the freak out. Until you start whooping Jeremy's playing them all the time on a weekly basis, you're like, Oh, these guys aren't so bad. So thank you, internet. I'm doing my job to convince people that Twilight Kin are not too good by losing to Tom. So <laughs> It's a service Jeremy offers. Hit him it up is. on UB, and he will show you that Twilight Kin are not broken by losing to you. <laughs> My service. 
Well, that's cool, man. Good luck at Alamo. They're kind of like in a new nice location, right? I know they had bounced around a little bit when they lost their old school place, but they got a nice spot now. Yeah, it's a it's a new old spot. It's the same feel. It's um, in a bar, you know, they're not in a bar, but it has a bar and sort of a veterans hall. And so, yeah, we had a COVID year where we went to a hotel, but now we're back where Alamo should be, which is with a bar right next to the tables. So yeah, the Alamo location was a pretty unique one. For those who didn't go, it was there was a bar area where in the tournament space, you could walk up to like a little window and, and order whatever you want. So it was a nice setup. Well, what about you, Alex? What have you been working on hobby wise? Not a ton right now. We're just doing some, uh, my, uh, my hobby rooms on the top floor of the house, which is currently in construction. So I've been going through a lot of things. We had crossroads here up in the Northeast last month, which was a lot of fun. We had, it was like my fourth or fifth time going. It was, uh, one of our teammates couldn't make it. So we had, uh, one of the locals stepped up and filled in and we had a really good time. We were, we were paired up with the eventual champions in round one. Uh, Adam Ballard's team was he was Adam Ballard, Eric Trowbridge, Shannon Shoemaker, and uh, their friend Roger, and they stomped us round one. And so we kind of we tried to submarine, but it was a bit of a failed surfacing. So we just kind of like hovered around the mid tables all weekend, which was a lot of fun. Ended up playing unplugged. In the final round, which was a lot, of, I had got to play. Oh, that that was fun. I yeah, guess. so like we faced them round one or round two of our first crossroads, so a bit of a rematch. So basically, we just played who we hadn't played before. So it was kind of faced the weekend as like let's just play the people we want to play. The the way that the team matchups worked out, we weren't trying to like engineer the most effective you know, matchups for winning. We we're just like, who do you want to play? And we just kind of like had discussions and we're like, I want to play Greg. So I got to play Greg from Unplugged in the final round, which was a lot of fun. Got to play Dale from uh, Nerdhammer. One of the, he, I think he won one of the tournaments last year in the Northeast with his dwarves. And that was, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I really learned that uh, my rat list does not do well against defense six because I had been successfully avoiding it for the last few tournaments and it it just not it's not a fun matchup so it was probably one of my worst showings at a gt wins and losses wise but it was a lot of fun and it was just really good to go back to like a a giant room full of 100 people playing kings of war but, uh, yeah currently hobby desk wise i'm re- literally just like packing everything up into boxes and moving it into a different part of the house as i tear up flooring and walls upstairs are you just like doing some remodeling or what is going to go into that space yeah so we have two bedrooms up on the top floor that were very old unupdated like they're probably like 30 40 years old (laughs) when we moved in so we're like we knew we want to update them but i just claimed one of them as my hobby room it served its purpose but now we're trying to like make it into like a master bedroom suite upstairs so and then are you gonna have like a hobby space once all this stuff is done so i'm gonna take one of the second floor ba- uh, bedrooms and it's gonna be the it's actually gonna be pretty cool uh, margaret suggest suggested it we could have we have like this large wall space that we're gonna combine two closets where i can have like a hobby desk and a little hobby station that with like some sliding doors oh that's cool. and it's gonna be like a combo hobby room slash gym like a hobby nook. Yeah, so it's going to be like my room. I was like I get to do like okay. get my my workout equipment. It's like your self-care palace. Exactly. And it's going to be on the second floor so it'll be a little bit bigger window. So I I think it'll actually work out pretty well. It's just 
it's going to be some growing pains over the winter as I try and maybe get some stuff done in the dining room. We have dead of winter coming up in January. So we had a bunch of the Albany guys come down for King Beyond the Wall this summer. So we want to return the favor and uh, bring a crew to Albany in January. So is that probably your next event you're going to? Is that one? We're going to have a one day in December, just like our normal one. We had we had a one day, um, the Spooky Murder Ghost Halloween tournament last weekend, or two weekends ago, and then we'll do our normal like Christmas themed Yule themed tournament in December. Cool. If you find any thirty year old Eldar while you're cleaning out your hobby room, give your boy a shout. Alex's is a closet that I think I would maybe find uh, a sexy space elves in, in from. Oh, like, you, I, know. you know what? I found my original Predator Annihilator box <laughs> this this morning when I was going through stuff. The blue and yellow colored box with like the picture right yeah. on the front. I remember yeah. that. I actually like got rid of a bunch of my like fourth edition army books and stuff last week to a guy who actually wants to play fourth edition. And uh, he's he runs the store, Jay, at Black Knight. He's trying to like start a small group of guys playing like fourth edition for real. And I'm like, I love this stuff <laughs> like for the nostalgia. But I'm like, if you're actually going to use it, I will gladly sell it to you. And because I know it's going to a good home that will be loved. Which it was a weird, it was a weird moment. We've talked about that fourth edition box set before, Jeremy, and it's like that's what got us into the hobby. There's a lot, there's a lot tied up with that. But also, I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time to move on. Yeah, I remember still so vividly the birthday I got that on. Uh, it's the old high elf and orcs and goblins where you had the the archers and spears and like the cardboard yes. griffin. That was like my introduction to Warhammer Fantasy. Was, and then all the army books that came out in that edition were all so just amazing. That was like the late elementary middle school, right. which is the, the time when you're – I remember being in science class and like writing army lists and like hardly ever actually playing oh, no, the game. Just, right? just making just, lists. <laughs> you, hardly ever, you hardly ever played when you're that age. Maybe you play – or for me, I, we hardly ever could make it through a whole game. I had like a two or like a three-foot table that I could we could just use. And it was like you'd get through like two or three turns. <laughs> and then you're done. But it was about thinking about it, making your army list, having your friends come over, get ready, you know, spend the night. And you'd play. And it was just like a magical, magical time sorting through all the magic cards and the, the magic items and the spells and stuff just to make sure everything was in there and i was like very nostalgic for like all of like the hundreds of magical items that are like you know infinitesimally different from each other but how many times did those goblin spears stab you in the fingers oh my god they had because me i i know the amount of times that they got that little bit in between fingernail yes. and like skin yep. right under the nail all the time <laughs> it was insane how They're good they were sharp that. Yeah, they were dangerous. Watch your feet when you're walking yeah. around uh, your room with those guys. But uh, classic era. Well, I've been working on the uh, getting my Twilightkin ready. I've been doing a lot of uh, getting the bases ready. I haven't got the models yet in the mail, but I've been painting some phantoms and working on my bases like I mentioned in previous shows. And then just playing a lot of lists. I feel like I have the core of the army sort of solidified, but it's such an interesting army as far as army design and that you can go so many ways. I haven't really landed on that. This is the army that I want to take. So I'm just trying to do as much of the stuff that's 
no matter where I end up, I, I know I'm going to need this or I know I'm going to want to take this. Do that stuff first. Because you don't want to paint a whole army and then play with it and then find out you don't like it. That's my job. Yeah, exactly. No, nor do you want to not start on the project for six months until you have absolutely every little tiny thing dialed in. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to find the, the in-between. Yeah, so just working on that. Uh, excited for them. Uh, the new Twilight Camp. I've been doing a lot with my airbrush, which has been super fun. I'd, I'd always been really intimidated about using my airbrush, and it was just sitting in my garage. So I finally got that out, and I've been using that both to prime, but then also to lay out, lay down base colors has been super nice. And then I got, I guess, instead of, you know how when you paint or whatever, you can use painter's tape to like block out stuff? I guess with an airbrush, and you guys probably know this, I was like, what? You, you can use silly putty. And you like putty on the model where you don't want the air from the air or the paint from the airbrush to go. And it just gets taken in by the silly putty or whatever. So I got some of that to mess around with just try to kind of trying different techniques on the airbrush because I really think it's going to save me time. That's what I'm hoping. Like I'm never going to be like a crazy airbrush painter. I like old fashioned painting, but if I can find something that's going to help with my speed, I'm all for that. So have you guys ever messed with airbrushing before? I took a class on it at Adepticon, got super hyped, and then realized that I don't really have a setup at home that can support the way I want to use it, which is just part of my normal like workflow. Because I my, my painting desk is also my work desk, and it's in the corner of my son's playroom. <laughs> so uh, having like the air compressor and all the cleaning stuff and everything out and available with a five-year-old is just not not something I'm doing right now. But it is part of the the dream. Like when I get my dream hobby space, like an airbrush station, uh, I'm really looking forward to the idea of it and learning and practicing a lot of the techniques and getting past just uh, like base coding models, but doing fun, cool stuff. Because when I took the class, it was really fun. It seemed neat, but I uh, haven't had a chance to enhance my skills past that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to building in some capacity to do that in my new space. I did not have that in my my old room, and then you know the, the having to like go into the basement with my other air, my tool air compressor and stuff like that would just be like kind of a pain to like set up. So I've I've never really gotten around to it, but I'm definitely looking forward to to messing around with it in the future. Have you ever airbrushed, Tom? I can't remember if we've ever talked about airbrushing. No, no, I, I have not. I have not. I think I may have talked with about this with Alex before the hobby cheating, the Vince from Warhammer weekly's painting YouTube video. I think all of us have gone to it in the hobby at some point. He's got a bunch of really great tutorials. He had one on how to hold the airbrush because when I was using the airbrush first, like my hand wasn't feeling good and I was having like a hard time because it's like a two type action where you push down and pull back. And depending on how much you push down and pull back or the very, all the little nuance of that, but he has some videos on like actually how you hold the airbrush itself. And it's like super simple. And once you do it, holding the airbrush is like a thousand times easier. But I never would have thought to put my fingers in that way. So that's another thing about watching tutorials, especially when it comes to hobby. It's like a real, there's a lot of really great hobby tutorials on YouTube. Uh, and that would be like a good, maybe Alex, we do a show on that sometimes where we do like our favorite YouTube resources. Yeah for miniature wargaming because there's so many great ones there's the big popular ones but there's so many now we are so spoiled for choice for how like how to find 
someone to help you with your specific issue that you're having or just like inspiration. Exactly. And even if you can't find a tutorial on a model that's painting, sometimes you can think about just like, hey, I want to paint my model red. So what are red? Blood angels are red. There's got to be a thousand tutorials on how probably to paint. You know what I mean? So think about that. Think about more like what's the look or color that I want to get and then try searching that way sometimes can be a good as opposed to trying to find a tutorial on how to like paint a specific model. Kind of like principled approaches, how to highlight a a certain way or how to paint a certain color. Like how do you wet blend or how do you do this? Earth tones or yeah. Okay, well, awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get into all things Clash of Kings. We'll be right back. This is John Fawkes. I'm one of the admins on uh, Kings of War. Oh, Kings of War. Sorry, I just need to ban somebody. They go out. Uh, and welcome to Council Charge. And we are back. So before we get into some of the new changes, why don't we do a quick circle back? And I'm going to start with you, Tom. You know, before Masters, we got together and we're talking a little bit about the meta, where were we going into Masters? What do we think was good? Now, we've had a new Night Stalkers, new Northern Alliance sort of come into the picture a little bit. Uh, where would you say we are meta-wise? Maybe rift on a couple of the top armies, maybe a couple couple of the boogeyman armies, uh, or maybe some, you know, if, if a faction comes to your head that you think needs some help as we go into the new Clash. Yeah, so we, the last time we talked, we were, or at least I was, I was throwing out my theory that the magic number in Kings is uh, 18. You need something that can charge more than 18 or at least 18 or shoot at least 18 or more to really have an effect, to be an effective list in the meta that, that we were seeing, which to at least my view of it was something like, how do you meet? Or how do you beat um, an eight Scorchwing Horde list, for example, um, which was at Masters and was definitely a boogeyman, even though it didn't uh, end up taking it down. They got tripped up by uh, a, a really good ogre list, but got second, I think. And so, you know, the hype was real for that. And that list, plus just the thing we've been talking about for, I'd say, about two years now, just the the Glade Stalker buff and all of the the ramifications that has had on the meta really the, each list was defined kind of how it responded to that challenge and weirdly enough the the masters list that ended up winning it all just answered that that challenge by not playing any of that type of <laughs> of filth which is a totally valid strategy but it doesn't change my mind on kind of what the meta is in how you need to be approaching list building with it in mind. The Night Stalkers and Northern Alliance 2023 lists definitely saw those those armies increase in power, um, especially the Northern Alliance. Uh, again, thinking about that 18-inch rule kind of or guidepost, you know, they got the Frostclaw units, which are speed 10 flyers. They hit like Dracons on a cheaper unit. They got Ice Elementals to bump up to range 12, which means with their speed six, they can shoot up, you know, have a threat range of 18 inches, which again is really important. You know, Night Soccer's got some good stuff too, like the Ravagers or the the Shadowhound buff, Um, but they were already really good. They have so much good stuff that, you know, uh, it doesn't really change how powerful that list is at the top end, I would say. Whereas Northern Alliance, I think really they really got a significant bump up the the rankings. 
I do think this still the most powerful thing in the game is steady aim shooting at 24 inches, which is, you know, Glade Stalkers. I would not be surprised, or at least I will be beating the drum over the next year that, you know, that combination of rules needs needs some looking at because I think it is just incredibly powerful. Um, and so we'll see if it keeps dominating this year. But I, I do think that's still the biggest challenge that you have to face in a tournament yeah one of those lists right when we we've talked we talk about them sometimes and when you're testing a list is when i face so and so how will this list do is knowing what you're like what are the lists that you may have to gatekeep you right in a tournament and nothing taking away from luke right but that is a valid strategy you play who's put in front of you at masters right any tournament really and that is one strategy that when you're list building if you can't do well against x and you're finding that you're moving away too much from your core list design, just say, if I face X, I'm in trouble. I'm going to do well against 99% of the field, and I just hope I don't face this person, and that's just that's an understanding I'm willing to take into the actual construction of the army. Absolutely. You can't, you can't yeah. do what you can't do, right? And like you said, you can't take away from your, your core list strengths when you're building your army. To add to Tom's steady A 24-inch shooting, I think the other two archetypes would be like the defense six and heal which would be mainly dwarves or maybe even forces of nature and then heavy alpha strike or like flying alpha strike so something like the order the green lady i don't know about the rest of the country or world but i know in the mid-atlantic northeast region order the green lady with the three or four flying hordes of forsaken is, is a big deal especially with backed up with some unicorns and pegasi it's a huge pain in the ass plays into that 19 inch threat range for that Tom talks about and mitigates the shooting by giving it less time to actually do its thing. For me, it was that there are certain kind of known types of builds or archetypes that were out there. You know, there we talk about a lot. There's like there is Alpha Strike and there's Grind and there's Trash and there is Defense Six you know, sort of wall. There's these sort of things. And what I felt is that there was a good representation across a number of those archetypes, but that the current meta, and and not in a huge oversized way, but was pushing out a lot of kind of balanced non-archetype builds in that you had to kind of exist within one of those lanes and be pushing that lane pretty hard, or you weren't going to be effective. You couldn't as easily just be a balanced whatever list you kind of had to push down your strengths really, really hard to be competitive against some of those boogeyman lists, which meant if you were going to be alpha strike, you kind of had to aim to be the best alpha strike and that kind of the community kind of locked in around green lady is potentially being one of those and some others. So that's at least how it felt to me. If you were going to have shooting as a main component of your army, you were probably going hard into something that was Glade Stalker or Lightning Bolt Spam, because those were sort of the most effective versions of that kind of world. That's at least how it felt to me. No, that makes sense. I mean, I know when I was testing my EOD, when I was originally planning to go to Masters before I wasn't able to, I started, oh, let's do a combines arm list. And then I ended with, I'm taking all defense six and mummies and regen because it's like, shoot at me, bro. Or I know your air elementals, greater airs are going to charge me in the flank. Come at me. I don't care if he's all my stuff's fearless defense six. So it exists within. I found that you had to sort of pick a lane, like you said, and then can my army do this? And can it do this lane well to, to be effective? 
I think you really hit the nail on the head where like the, the take all comers list just stopped working this past year. <laughs> like you, you just had to skew pretty hard to, to do, to be successful or to be consistently successful. That's sort of a negative view of it from my side. I wasn't trying to be that negative. Oh, no, more I just, like, that, that's just me taking my take on your, what you said, I, my negativity coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I felt when you looked at, some of the big tournaments and you would say, Oh my gosh, there's this boogeyman list. But then you would look closer and you're like, well, there's seven boogeymen. Like there's seven or eight and they're all feel tough and scary. And they all do different things. Well, and all of them look scary to face. And at some point when you have seven, eight, nine, 10 viable types of lists or paths towards tournament victory, that's, you know, we can call them all skew lists, but at some point that's balanced because they're all doing different things. It's slightly different take on what I just said. What happened this year was we found the armies that were best at those types of lists. So I feel it's in some love, some ways it felt like there was less variety to me, at least where like you saw the dwarf list, you saw the order, of the green lady list, you saw the nature list. And like, there's just like, it really felt like there was like the lists were existing as opposed to the armies as holes. I don't know. Yeah, I think to some degree, and I don't mean to just spend this whole podcast pushing back on everything Alex says. Feel free. <laughs> I could do that enough in like Facebook Messenger on the side. Don't threaten me with the good I mean, time. that's why I'm here. <laughs> to a certain degree, but then I feel like you look a little closer and you say like, okay, you have the nature list or or whatever. And then it's like, well... There's the air elemental direction, there's the scorch wing direction, there's sometimes both, but from like a full spam, there's the defense six. Um, you look at something like dwarves, where we're like, well, we know there's the dwarf build, but then, you know, not to to be too uh, reverent to one of our guests, that like Tom took a totally different dwarf build that did very well. So while I definitely feel like there was kind of like the list in some situations, I do feel that it was like, it's not as simple as we just crystallized around the smallest number of them. But I, I do think it's a mature game where we're at. People are figuring out what the efficient things are to do the jobs we know are important. And that does mean we get less, less variation within a faction. But I think the number of factions that are viable is still very strong. And I say all this, be true to myself and be negative, but also to set up, I feel like a hopeful time in the second half of the episode for this year. This is Luke losing his hand and falling down yeah. a shaft. <laughs> we have to, uh, we gotta, we gotta go to the depths before we, we bring out the, the ray of hope. Like you used the word mature Britain. And I was thinking that, like maturation, right? We're having a evolution in list design where I think people have been playing this game for a long enough, long enough. And as good players from other game systems come in, are good players returning or whatever? I think there is a sort of understanding of the game that deepens. I mean, I think there's just strong armies that can do things well. And outside of like a couple of things, I felt even coming into this pack, and I mean, feel free to not just disagree with Alex, you can disagree with me. But outside of, of, of a few Scorch Wings or Greater Airs or uh, maybe a thing or here and there, I felt the game going into this pack was in a pretty good spot. What do you guys think as far as just the overall balance of the game prior to this year's Clash of Kings update? I think it was pretty balanced, but I think the the issue was, and I'm sure not sure if this is agreeing or disagreeing with you guys, but I felt like the fact the viable faction, and, and again, we're talking a, a 
I mean, this is a scrying gyms episode, so it's more competitive focused, even, even more than normal. So um, take everything we're saying from that, you know, uh, perspective, but at the very top end of competitive play, I felt last year, like the armies that were up there, the top tables shrunk and you just, some, some armies just completely died off and were not seen at all. That was the big issue that I could see with the, the balance of the game. I do think, and again, we could maybe talk about this later in the context of Twilight, can a big balance uh, was removed and would have been welcome last year and even more so than this year is the the spell word banner. You know, we're not getting it back, unfortunately. I think that would go a long way to alleviate some people's fears about what's coming with the Twilight Kin and other spell-based lists like Ogres. I think that might be missing and, and could help balance it. But overall, I thought we were in a really good spot uh, going into Masters. And I think the Masters results, as we spoke about um, on those episodes for that out. Do you think like a rule like spell ward, since you bring it up, I think it's an interesting thing, a rule like that, that maybe it's not, there's more going on in halflings than just spell ward, right? It's not like their only thing. Do you think there's a space to have the conversation about not wanting to have magic items that can get something that maybe is key to the sort of design or flavor of like an existing army. Like I think of like taking Pathfinder out. I actually kind of like that, that they took Caterpillar out and that it made the armies that had Pathfinder, it's made it a little bit more valuable resource. Do you think that there's a, a negative in giving items so that any army could get any special rule based on what item? We saw it with the banner of the Griffin back in second. Rally's such a powerful rule to have access to that everyone pretty much took it if you could. I think with Spell Ward, it's another one. It's almost universally useful. Like It's almost always going to be useful and relatively unique. And there's definitely an advantage to keeping unique army rules unique, but then there is game balance to be talked about as well. So I just think there was a little too much Spell Ward in the game at one point, and it went a little far removing sources of it and maybe could sneak a couple back in, but we'll see. I just think it was an overcorrection to stealthy spell ward <laughs> night stalkers that you couldn't like anything you tried to hurt them with they had some bonus against it no counter and it went a little too far removing them that was definitely like just like a perfect storm of not fun i mean it's the idea of like yeah it's like you want all your hammers to have waiver mitigation but then if everything has waiver mitigation or whatever you know insert x special rule into y it then becomes things lose their identity or lose their play. It's like we got to have some things affected by some rules. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe you guys talked me out of it. I feel like I was on your side, but I think I just, I, I'm so negative that it just came across as disagreeing. And we'll talk about it when we touch base on Twilight. Can I have tested the 48 Lightning Bolt list and I, I've lost with it a bunch? So I will say things that appear a certain way on paper don't always end up that way. So then as we get ready to talk about Clash things, Again, these opinions uh, on the Scrying Gems is through sort of a hyper-competitive lens. And also, it's like, we don't know. I mean, we've we play-tested this stuff. You know, Britain's on the RC, so they've had discussions at like that level around all these changes and stuff. In the end, you, you, you try to do the best you can. You have a play-testing. But once stuff gets released into the wild, right, you just never know. So these very much are our sort of initial impressions informed by play-testing. But again, these, you know, you, right, guys, you just never know where 
the meta is going to simmer out sometimes six months a year, you know, once a book's been out for a little bit. That's an important point that I think um, with the release of a couple new armies and then Twilight Kin and now a number of different changes, um, I, I personally feel like I've talked about it before, I think in the past, this sort of concept of, of army lag, basically that idea that like we don't get instant uptake of um, armies and new armies hitting the scene immediately. Like it happens slowly sometimes, even with like the Scorchwing spam that was, you know, Jeff Redigan saw that and like two weeks later commissioned an army to get done um, for, for events as soon as he could. And that still took, you know, however many months to go from uh, thought to, you know, putting the, the kind of deposit or whatever down to being an actual army on the table that's showing up at events is still a while. So I feel like predicting what's going to happen with these kind of massive shakeups is uh, whatever they are initially, I think there's going to be kind of like multiple hiccups and aftershocks that we should expect expect that like people won't have the best version first and they won't have the counters first and the army that is powerful that no one's painted up yet may not exist for a while a year even i think we're sort of seeing that with halflings where halflings have been kicking around as a very effective army that we just didn't see that often and now all those armies people started are are actually hitting the table and and good it's going to be really hard to predict all the things that are going to happen but i'm i'm excited to watch it Especially with like the Northern Alliance and Night Stalkers coming out, and everyone like super excited about how much better they are, and then you know Twilight Kin are also good and new. But I think we're going to hit on this pretty soon in this episode about how a lot of things are better. <laughs> so it's going to be an entirely new environment, which is exciting. I think. Yeah, so within that sort of milieu, instead of saying we predict that the meta is going to be this, we're going to more focus around what we think are winners and losers. So i.e., I know that going into playtesting and doing and, and trying design, you hope that everything is a winner. And what I mean by winner and loser is not that the army is in balance or good, but what are the units that really are factions that really stand out to us as a big change between what they were previously and what they are now. I know you've been playing a lot of halflings, Tom. We've mentioned them a few times. Why don't we start there as a, as one of the factions, I think that's a big winner this go around. So what jumps out at you as far as halflings? I know maybe start on the talking about the poachers change. That seems pretty good. Yeah. So the, the poachers changes, I think the, the number one uh, best change to the halflings in this this cock pack uh, and that's they're going from range five to range four uh, they do go up in points slightly for that uh, change but it's just a huge increase in their uh, effectiveness now they don't have steady aim uh, so i actually think it's a pretty good balance between having range for 24 inch shooting without the steady steady aim it's a little bit more balanced, I think. But the the key to the poachers is that they have stealthy and they also have spell ward. So that combination is extremely good. And it's one of the things that makes the new Twilight Kin list very good. Their easy ability, even more so than halflings, who really only have it in the poachers, 
to get that combination of spell word and stealthy. Uh, so, so that, that change to the poachers, at least for me has completely uh, opened up the list and, and has, I've seen a lot more, more wins with them uh, since that change than before. There are a few other slight changes to the list, you know, forest troll gunners that, which we really didn't see last year are getting a little bit better um, along with their hero version. Um, and there's an iron beast change, but um, if I was focusing on one thing that that poacher change to range four plus seems small, but just completely um, brings the unit into the conversation and, and really might put it toward the top of the, of the whole game, actually. I think you bring up Twilight Kin is a good point that I think that is going to be a popular faction and having army ride spell ward against an army that not only needs to, wants to do a little damage, but using weakness or using wind blasts or some of the other things that Twilight Kin does that's sort of important, important to their game plan. You know, having spell ward against all that stuff is really powerful. Especially when combi- combined with other defensive rules like, like stealthy or, or giving yourself cover. Um, you know, I think with the twilight kin, uh, the big thing that is not balanced to me, and it's not really the army specifically, but it's the fact that damaging spells, damaging weakness or damaging hex or damaging enthrall don't take cover penalties. Uh, lightning bolt does, or like fireball does, for example. And so, there's just no way to avoid them hitting you on fours with uh, oftentimes piercing one, which makes it extremely difficult to counterplay and, and really easy to use. And so I think that after thinking about it for a couple of months and seeing people's reactions, it's not really the weavers. I know we're talking about Twilight Kin now, but it's not really the weavers necessarily that are the big culprit in my eyes that, that may be slightly not balanced it's really that damaging uh weakness that ignores all the other negative modifiers but to bring it back around to halflings halflings have a modifier you can't avoid unless you bring a lathiel and strip spell word from them so it's a nice it's a nice counter to uh to twilight kin as jeremy's been finding out you know we talked about halflings winning uk clash of kings uk and britain brought up a good point to where it took a certain amount of time for sort of the halfling pot to, to simmer up, right? Both in model, getting everyone's model painted, sort of it was a new faction that had to have sort of a, a new line of thinking like developed. So I think it's it's very much ap- kind of like perfect timing in some ways. Like you said, Tom, that we're getting now, people are now finishing getting their halfling armies painted and they're sort of entering in this improvement, but also improvement against what we're probably going to be seeing a lot of. So I, th- I I imagine we're going to be seeing more more halfling lists in general in in the scene. What could become popular is the with the new Ravagers unit in the Night Stalkers. Kind of the you've seen some people do it the the push pull with the Banshees and uh, yes. the Ravagers. That that has the potential to be super nasty. And again, it's it's very similar to the Twilight Kin, um, where their spells don't take cover modifiers and things. And so yeah, bring your halflings if you got them. <laughs> And what Tom's mentioning there is an interesting trick Night Stalkers can do where they suck you into the 12-inch range with enthrall of their Ravagers and then shoot you and then wind blast you back with Soul Flayers if they don't like that you're that close. Not super fun but to play against, but it's a pretty interesting mechanic. 
Alex, our Britain, uh, do you have any thoughts on halflings? Poachers is a really good change. And then the forest trolls was one that stood out to me. I actually like the old formation. I think that I'm a little sad that the new, they took it out. Yeah. So let's talk about the new formation because I think it's really cool. Actually it's called yeah. wild sorcery. You get two troops of wild runners and you get a spear spike regiment. The wild runners gain a, a rule called good cooking which while they're in six inches of a friendly unit with the gastromancy rule, they're fearless and elite ranged. But the spear regiment gains the gastromancy special rule itself. I think that's kind of interesting to have a unit throwing out auras. Yeah, you get like like a, like the, a whole crew of chefs just slinging out meals to everyone. And you give that unit the orb of uh, the extra unit strength orb, and all of a sudden you have a unit strength four unit behind your main line passing out gastromancy buffs that seems pretty good yeah it's definitely a lot more flavorful i find the orb of towering presence is one of my like good player indicators that's like oh it's so powerful you just look at a random list and you're like orb of towering presence on something really efficient hmm watch out for this person (laughs) it's one of the best i think that is an item that the good players have really noticed around putting it you see it a lot right on chariots or are the unit strength one heroes that can take Mm -hmm. an item all of a sudden now they're unit strength two um, what do we in, in in talking about that? You know, what do we think of now that all Titans are moving to unit strength two? I love that change personally. I think it's going to be really interesting. The dynamic of we used to be able to just all heroes that have unit strength are like one. So, what do we think about the the change to that general rule about Titans going up to unit strength two? I think it's going to help a lot, especially the flying Titans. It's going to make them much more usable and useful a little bit less of a liability but like it just makes the 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 base size uh worth it now i mean this is a decidedly non-competitive take on the subject dragons are cool big f off dragons are neat to have in the game and i'm sort of feel like in a competitive sense they're usually a disadvantage unless you are very very good at using them um, there's usually a better way to spin that points and that unit strength had kind of done its job too well where you know a very cheap sort of night stalker hero or owner ogre flag bearer could claim a table quarter as easily or you know a 70 point flying wizard from kingdoms of men could claim a table quarter as easily as this like lord on a dragon and this goes some way towards like very slightly redressing that we're, we're not looking for a world where everyone's throwing down multiple dragons and just crushing people's faces with them hero hammer style but this is a very small i think tactical buff that says let's get some of those big footprint 75 mil things out there and make them slightly more useful in the in-game scenario so i'm i'm a big fan of it yeah i just think it makes sense like they're just they're giant right they're well they're giants and they're larger (laughs) than other than monsters and large infantry characters so just yeah, thematically it makes sense, and gameplay-wise, it'll help quite a bit. Like, I, I've always been a big proponent of Scud, but he's kind of a bit of an outlier when it comes to dragons because of the long-range threat he always has with Lightning Bolt. So I think having a little extra scenario play with the Unit Strength 2, that really helps other dragons quite a bit. This change to Unit Strength 2 combined with the last Clash of Kings change to give them all, all giants the Slayer or Rampage rule really makes them you know towards the top of 
sort of the competitive the competitive world. I think double Titan lists are are back. You know, even just a, a double giant Kingdoms of Men list. I think you're going to be seeing a ton more Titans. I mean, it's it's a hard to argue if you have that option to not bring at least one of them now. Uh, they're just so useful uh, to to plan terrain. And to me, like I'm fine with that, right? Yeah. No, I'm I'm good with that. It's a good uh, it's a good way to differentiate Titans from from monsters. Um, you know, a little bit of gradation there. And let's face it, large infantry uh, hordes are still the most powerful thing in the game, oftentimes. And so, giants are like their perfect counter. I, you know, at Samurai Showdown, I lost a ogre palace guard horde in a single front charge from uh you know a reanimated behemoth that had slayer that really hurt my feelings but it's a good it's good to have that out there (laughs) to to counter you know what what we used to see which was large infantry spam in a lot of cases and so i I think it's it's a good change um to counter it if you're going to see a lot of titans it brings me back to a point in time in my South region where Dustin Howard was dominating everybody with triple bone giants and Shobik. And so Aaron Chapman sort of sat back and thought, how do I counter this? And came up with his slave work list, which is all cheap trash hordes that, you know, giants have trouble killing to the front mass shooting behind it, where you're not taking cover as you're shooting the big guys uh, over your line. So I think that style, you know, War trombones or fire teams and uh, abyssal dwarves, which are getting a little bit better. That kind of mass breath weapon might see a slight resurgence if we do see a lot of titans. Yeah, because that's the interesting idea when you look at these changes, right? You're not just thinking about what it ha- is this change good, yes or no, or whatever. You're also thinking about if this is changing in a good way, what might people want to think about taking to deal with this thing that's getting well, yeah. added? It also right? like that to your point, Tom, like that actually mitigates the nerf to cannons from the last clash of Kings where like, yeah, they can't, they don't, they no longer ignore intervening terrain, but with a Titan height six, like not many things in the, in between the cannon and the, and the Titan are going to provide cover so that it kind of pr- creates a little more utility for those, those war engines that don't ignore intervening terrain or cover. And you bring up a good point in talking about war machines is we're also looking at uh, these sort of w- what army or faction or play style has a win in the new clash of Kings. What do we feel about the new secured position rules, which how I understand it. And maybe you guys can let me know what you think it's unit strength zero. So if there is no one else there, you can claim a pillage token or something like that. But in the scenarios that are like control or where it says to count up unit strength, they're zero. So they don't count. Like you can't, can you win a score in control with a cannon? If nothing else or something that has secured position or am I understanding that rule? Right. I'll let the, the RC member speak if he wishes, but I think <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's how I read it. My question is, it's a scoring unit, so does that mean that it can hold loot tokens and things? Yeah, can I march up the board with my cannon with the loot token? Not march, but, you know, five inches at a time. So from loot counters, they're fine. The loot counter rule is non-scoring units cannot pick up nor carry loot counters. So, like, they are a scoring unit. Units with individual special rule cannot carry loot counters. They're not individuals. So, my understanding is, yeah, they can carry loot. They're a scoring unit. 
how do secured positions work in control? Yeah, my understanding is with zero unit strength, it doesn't matter for control. They don't get you jacked. Same with dominate. But they can control a pillage token and a loot token? Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's how I understood it in reading it. So For objective markers, if you have a scoring unit within at least three inches of an objective marker and there are no enemy units within three inches, you control it. Yeah, because it specifically says scoring unit, not unit If you have scoring and they have scoring, that's when unit strength comes into play. So there's your, it's not the like lone wolf 0.5 unit strength where you stack three of them in and you're actually 1.5. It's still zero. There are a lot of different variations of this and it's sort of known that it's like, it doesn't fix it for everything, but you kind of don't want it to fix it for everything. They have specific situations where it's useful. Well, I mean, we've been seeing, we haven't really seen much War Machine lately, right? It seems like this has been put in for a reason to maybe encourage some of that. Well, yeah, I mean, war machines are in a rarely tough spot because the the easiest thing to do is just make them more predictable. But that kind of removes their usefulness in like the point of them in the game. Like they shouldn't just be another shooting unit that does an average of two damage every turn for the points you should get for two damage a turn. Like there's a lot in Kings of War that already does that. Um, So war machines should be swingy. And they should be scarier than they actually are, because you remember that time that it removed an entire unit in one round of shooting in the open, even though that happens once a tournament. Um, And maybe it's okay that they are not the efficient, super competitive tournament choice. Like, that's okay. It's okay for them to be a little too swingy for the tip of the competitive meta, but like a Saturday at the game store favorite where it's like, yeah, I bring war machines and I dunked on something and it doesn't matter that they haven't worked for a month. They worked this game. Um, And it's okay for things like that to be in the game, but it's really hard to balance because if they're too weak, people just don't take them because they have all of these drawbacks. Like you look at dwarves, no one takes war machines. They all take sharpshooters because they score these other things. So it's like, they had a ton of drawbacks around not scoring, people tripling attacks against them, all this stuff. But you can't really buff their power without getting into like really scary war machine territory. And you don't want to make them just more predictable because then you're removing the point of having war machines as a thing in the game. So you were kind of left with like, what small ways can you mitigate their problems? And one was like, maybe they can be useful in scenario play some of the time. That's kind of the thinking. You know what that takes me back to, Britain? Yeah, what? The, the very first game we had when your stupid flame belchers was sitting on an objective token. I rem- I still have a picture of that in my phone. My last little poor regiment of skeleton revenants back in the day. Here's a nice little Jeremy coming in for his first Kings of War tournament ever. And Britain's freaking war machining me off tokens and winning games. So. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a very happy dwarf player when the flame, flame belchers scored, did not take cover penalties, and were bane chantable. Now I may have had three defense six mounted vampires in my list at that tournament, so I uh, we know I'm not completely not to blame here in this scenario. But old soul reaver cavalry and defense six mounted vampires are were were not something to complain about either. So what do we think about, we're looking at some of these other special rules, right? We've, we've, we've talked about secured positions. We're now seeing the ordered march rule yep. being spread out to some, some, some other dwarves. When we talk about what the meta was before, 
Um, and we talked about that earlier. But what what I want to say, I'll I'll go to the the coos side, the negative, <laughs> the negative <laughs> side, the dark side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my my heel turn on this. I thought the meta was fairly balanced as long as you were shopping in the expensive aisles of the store, as long as you were like fast or shot really well or had great wound mitigation, like best in class wound mitigation and defense grind. Like, yes, it was balanced. But if you were just like an infantry regiment or infantry horde trying to make it through like a tournament, you were in bad shape most of the time, unless you were trash and your only job was to get in the way. There was sort of um, anything that was less than speed nine, anything that shot worse than sort of glade stalkers, anything that did not alpha like green lady with a ton of amazing support and anything that didn't grind sort of like empire dust or whatever you had a really hard time finding a place in the meta to actually like use what a lot of us classically think of as like armies and that's really it's a really hard place to like balance and make infantry especially infantry regiments like good in the game there's a lot going against them even for some of the traditional fantasy races that should be built around that dwarves etc there's a number of rules kind of kicking around through this and kind of a theme ordered march a lot of the auras on standard bearers and sort of special rules on people that give strider or other auras that are hitting infantry only means that I I hope and I feel like that there are some hidden gems in there which make more infantry heavy lists more viable in the meta. I'm not I'm not going into like it's the time of infantry they're gonna rule, but I think they got a, a fighting chance at a lot more lists. Being able to sort of stack up multiple buffs on them and suddenly have you know elite strider infantry with rally on it doing doing cool stuff so ordered march is part of that this is this kind of like hits on something that i've talked about a bunch i know at king beyond the wall a a few of us were talking about northern northern alliance and at crossroads as well about how much how many synergies the list had and how it felt like every unit was useful useful or at least usable and partly because of those synergies and how things played together as an army. And I think, you know, with stuff like the ordered March on some dwarves and even secured position, but then these, all of the auras that are getting rolled into these lists and you really see a more synergistic approach in, in all these lists, or at least in the ones that have been you know overhauled the most in this classic case. Well, that's the Mantic 2.0 philosophy, right? I think you see a difference in the list design in the synergies of the list. I think there very much is a, you know, uh, this latest uh, shameless plug, he lets me sleep on his couch. But I mean, the, the latest group of RC, I think you really see it, and not to take anything away from the previous RC, but this whole push towards trying to find what instead of what does this army have a lot of as its special rule and in sp- and, and instead trying to think about what is this army's special thing that it does because those are two different right and matt's talked about that carmax talked about that in previous shows right like life leech was an undead special thing it was a rule that they had a lot of whereas you know so trying to think about how do we make these armies more interesting yeah i got a lot of flack for playing rats incessantly and it's like the main thing that keeps me like building new rat armies is that there are synergies in the list in in each list or that you can build around 
in each list. So you can have different things that it does and different interplay between all of the units. And, you know, the, the core of that is the rally. But then, you know, I think, you know, over the different versions, like that has grown into more things. Like, so like, there's always something else to build around what new little gadget, you know, not really trick plays, but like just how to like build and maximize the interplay between units. And I see that in more lists now, more different armies in this Clash of Kings that I have in the past. Tom, you and Britain are dwarf players. What do you think about this ordered march? Uh, dwarves are going to be picking up it, picking it up in a lot of their units. Berserkers, Ironclad, among others. What do we think about ordered march sort of getting into that list? I'm a fan because I think it is something that helps the power of dwarves in scenario play without breaking their archetype and you know like they still have an uphill struggle in scenario play and that's okay they're very good at other things what i love about it is i always felt that most of the time dwarf armies because they're so slow and it happens somewhat with abyssal dwarves if you're using any of the foot as well you are going to get charged like you're you're slower than just normal humans you're slower than halflings like you are going to take the charge so what you have to prepare from almost immediately or prepare for is you need to stagger your line change angles, set up this sort of frontage that is not easy to like overwhelm, pin down, split apart, and then charge more stuff. You have to, you know, protect certain angles. You have to make it so only each unit can only be charged by one other thing, or if they double charge that they're hindered. And so you end up having to very carefully position your line as you move it up. In the past, that meant you were moving four inches a turn because you moved four and then you had to do your pivots and you had to do your micro adjustments and you had to do all these things to allow you to survive whatever was about to hit you because anything could kind of move up without fear of dwarf movement and and hit you. Ordered March allows you to get further forward while still having that adjustment room, being able to like push up still do those pivots and things you need to do to protect yourself and, and set your kind of traps. But you have that chance to at the double while still doing that, as long as you're outside terrain. And then at the end of the game, in those final moments where like, yay, you've survived, you have a couple beaten and bruised and battered regiments sitting there, you have that iron guard that has, you know, survived everything thrown at it. And in the past, it was like, cool, I can pivot and move four inches. <laughs> that's get, that's getting me nowhere. And now it's like, okay, I can I can pivot and move eight, or I can go four to like just get around this forest and then four more with the pivot. You have that ability, and sometimes it matters, to go that little extra near the end of the game to claim objectives, get to table quarters, get across an invade line, do that sort of stuff, just that little bit. It's not suddenly making them, you know, scenario monsters where they're running all over the board hyper fast, like elves still move way faster than them all the time, but it's giving them a fighting chance. So I love it. I'm really excited to see how it affects things. It's sort of mostly theory right now, but I think it's giving them another small tweak and tool in the toolbox to, to better compete at scenario play across a five or six game tournament. I agree with that. Uh, to me, Ordered March is just a recognition by the RC and Mantic of how much Speed Force sucks. It, it's <laughs> just, it is just so bad. Uh, and I think uh, unfairly difficult to play sort of a, a normal game of Kings of War. It's just, it's so punishing. And I've felt that every game at Masters, you know, 
it's it wasn't even the things like oh I'm I, it's invade and I'm playing a scouting forces of nature and they went first so it's just like that that just is is a bad matchup um, for a lot of armies but you know especially dwarves but it's just the things like it just made every scenario so difficult to play with and you have to play at such a high level and think so far ahead that. Um, it doesn't make the army enticing to play. So I think this is going to help. So, you know, some, I heard some playtesters saying they're, they're a little bit worried about, you know, doors are already pretty good. Is this going to make them too good? I, I don't, my feeling is I don't think so. I think it's just going to make them more enjoyable to play and, and better at the margins on, on scenario. The interesting thing about ordered March and the secured position role looking across the entire Clash of Kings book is it's really a dwarf and abyssal dwarf specific rule, or both of them are, because they're pretty much just in those two lists. So uh, it's be interesting to see if they're applied more widely to other armies in the future. But for this Clash of Kings, at least, the, the dwarves and abyssal dwarves are getting some, some major love with those two new rules. That's looking across uh, the Family Guy meme where you look across and all the dwarf and abyssal dwarf players are just in tuxedos with monocles going, <laughs> yes, the, the, the most distinguished of folks play those armies. Thank you for our ordered march. And I like it thematically, too. I always like when a rule that increases gameplay or whatever also thematically fits. And to me, dwarves are a group that would thematically be able to ordered march well. You know, they're tough and sturdy and, and are slow most of the time. But if they got to lock their shields and move, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It makes sense to me. Nat- natural sprinters. Natural sprinters, right? And the other thing that Alex and you guys were talking about is the the more army standard bear auras and, and how that may make some infantry uh, more viable. I, you know, to me, I think we need collectively as a community to figure out how do we make berserker style units work? Because it... There is th- that entire class of unit that I think is just underplayed and not really seen on the table other than, you know, troops as a second wave um, is how you sometimes see berserker type units. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one because if they're too good, <laughs> like they're yeah. scary good, they're, you know. But you know what I mean, Britain? It, like that should be a cool sort of half elf berserker. You know, I take five regiments and that's what I do. It's like if you took six regiments of half-elf berserkers, you should be able to do really well, legitimately. My answer to that right now is just shooting. Four-up plank shooting is too prevalent, and that suppresses berserker-style units. And if you make them capable of surviving that shooting, then there's actually, like, what counterplay do you have to just these buzzsaws coming at you? So it's it's a tough spot. I would love them to be better. Shout out Morax, <laughs> which I think... Jason Murphy up in the Northeast, I think he he had an all Morax army. He ran at a few events. I mean, I think Morax are the best version of that kind of kicking around in the game because of the war drum plus other synergies. And even them, it's it's hard to get it to work. I think he went four and one at two events. The shout out to like the sort of standard bearer aura style thing. Like jumping through, they're on number. I think there's like four or five give terrain mitigation that gives strider to infantry so we'll see if this pans out but i i'd like the idea that you have a buff specifically to infantry that makes them good at fighting through sort of terrain oh with with you know like jeremy mentioned earlier with path uh potion the caterpillar potion being removed and just 
Pathfinder being a little bit more rare across the board, I think giving increased terrain mitigation, but only to infantry makes more sense, right? Like infantry should be better at fighting in rough terrain. Now I'm sort of thinking about this on the fly a bit, but if you look at Luke Frazier's uh, Masters winning Trident Room list, what did he have? He actually had Thule, our, our Berserker infantry, and he had the formation, which you know they have Stealthy, and that gives them Pathfinder to two of the units. And so that sort of double stack of, of Stealthy plus sticking them in cover is, should be enough to survive at least you know balanced shooting lists. And so maybe with the Strider, that that can bring some more Berserker units into it if they can hide and cover and charge out unhindered. Yeah, Berserker and just like, for me, infantry, because the trap was always like, you would say, great, I'm going to put this infantry in cover. And and then their shooting won't be as effective. And the, the shooting army would always be like, great, now I get twice as many turns to shoot you. When you get through it or try and charge out of it, you are less dangerous. <laughs> like so, the th- the thing I am scared of you doing, which is charging out and hurting something, I am now less scared of. So, like, cool, sit in cover. I just have more time to kill you, or I can ignore you because your charge is not actually effective. So, Pathfinder, Strider, those sorts of things to either Berserker or just other inventory, allowing them to kind of not be as nerfed by going through terrain. I think uh, give some interesting counterplay against some of the shooting heavy lists, but we'll see. Now I'm curious, do you think when you talk about that, like that type of unit that it's hard to deal with because if you, if you tweak them too far one way, they become too good. Do you think knights sort of are existing in that umbrella right now? It's just, they seem to be in kind of like this sort of weird, weird in between spot. Speed eight ghetto. Yeah, exactly. I mean, does that resonate with you guys? Knights just seem, and I, I joke about Basalian trademark knights all the time, but I just think in general, outside of maybe some Varenger or some of the, you know, the the one or two units that stand out, knights in general are kind of in a weird spot. Yeah, I think outside of the stealthy Varenger knights, you're having trouble justifying taking them. Or Regeny Green Lady knights. That would be one that you would want to take, right? The Order of Redemption is a super solid. Yeah, basically, it's like the best knights in the game see the table, and all the rest don't. Um, in in super competitive lists, it's tough because like a lot of knights are now the thing that people thought might fix them is well, they were too reliant on thunderous. So if they can be crush one thunderous one or some variation of that, and that that'll do it. And like it didn't. <laughs> so like knights are not in a great spot. And then you think about there's a few armies out there that their personality, their whole sort of reason for existence is kind of knights. So it's something I would love to see get a fix on. But it is it is tough. Uh, for me, it revolves mainly around the speed and the shooting in the meta where they are perfectly fine to me in terms of like combat and defensive stats. They're just slow. And it's crazy to say speed eight is slow. But in the current world speed aid is you're fast enough to kill the stuff that doesn't matter that like you could have charged with speed six and a half (laughs) so like that whole like six and a half up to eight just doesn't matter in terms of speed so they're they're a little slow for what they need to do and the fact that they need to hit things and kill them i don't know what to do with knights but i think they need some help and if you know please message britain on all social media platforms open call and provide a balanced critiques and he will uh implement them just kidding yeah, they just have too many counters. Like you can strip their thunderous. They 
normally don't have Pathfinder or Strider unless you put the the Strider Rider on them. So they you know will lose at least a, uh, a one thunderous plus or hindered. Um, you know, like you're saying, Britain, they're only speed eight. Um, they just have so many ways that things can go badly and they often, you know, very few where they, they go well. So especially with the unit strength to change to make giants more viable, the way I always think of monsters as monsters is, is the cavalry and Kings War that, you know, you usually have them on sort of a mid flank, um, you know, right off your line, ready to charge in whatever hits your main battle line. And so, yeah, regular TC two knights are are in a bad spot. I don't think this Clash of Kings was intended to or does change that. If you're like I freaking love knights and I want them in my army, there are armies you can play that support that and and do it well. There are cool knight units in the game. There are armies that can support a knight theme and still be good. Not necessarily like tip of the meta spear, you know, scary list at masters, but like knights can do well. They can be rad. For me, it's that kind of generic, like, two knight units on the flank. <laughs> uh, one with Pathfinder, one with Boots, that, like, we just don't see as much anymore, or at all. Like, you're either going in on that hard, or you're not using them at all. Um, and there's no kind of middle ground. And again, for me, it's that, like, I spent, you know, a year playing an almost entirely Speed 8 army, and then played Ringer at a tournament a month ago and swapped and played. I only had one fast unit and it was speed nine. And that difference between an entire army of speed eight and like a very slow army with one speed nine, the speed nine felt way better. <laughs> like just having one thing that's like, I outranged normal cavalry felt so much better than a bunch of speed eight. It's it's a weird spot to be in speed eight and it doesn't feel great. It can work like you talked about in certain armies are when they're your slow unit, right? Like when the speed eight unit is your slow unit because you are also taking either Alohi or order of the forsaken or whatever. But if you're relying on that to be your reach out and touch you unit, there's just like Tom said, I think too many, too many ways to deny that. Well, before we touch base on some things that got adjusted, what else sort of stands out for you guys either in a specific way or in a sort of overarching sort of rule, or is it, what else is standing out for you guys in this year's clash? For me, it's the build your own casters. Like that's going to be a huge change. The fact that most, I think, all of the casters are removed from their sort of like force spell choices, and that you can then take exactly the spells you want for sort of the prices, allowing you to build the exact caster for your list without sort of paying attacks for spells you don't want. I think it's going to be a very, very efficient spell casting change and means that, you know, hyper-competitive people can get exactly what they want out of their casters. You know, we joked about me being negative, but it's true most of the time. But I think when I went through my winners and losers and like other categories, I think I had more winners than any other category. And then really only like five or six armies that were losers and that's just because they didn't have a lot of changes so i think overall the everything is getting a lot of new things to play around with which is exciting and i think especially there's a few armies that just feel a lot more playable than they used to like something like rift forged orcs you know thomas saying halflings stuff like that 
they just feel so, in Northern Alliance with the update this summer. Like they just feel like more complete armies now, and I think that's that's a huge win. What are your guys' thoughts on the uh, you know this Britain mentioned the caster change of having a little bit more freedom and in regards to 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 kitting out your wizards in the way that in what spells you want them to have? We've seen that before um, in elves, which did not have uh, a base spell on their archmage. And there's one other that I'm, I'm forgetting off the top of my head right now. And so what did you see in the elf list? Well, you saw every single elf list have a mounted uh, archmage with nothing but alchemist curse with the boots of levitation. I got my favor Ironheart one shot at turn one by uh, alchemist mage caster. So I, I have felt the pain of that personally at sort of the highest stakes even though they're not really high stakes you can have in in king's war and so that is the immediate concern that the good thing is the rc had the foresight to recognize that and take away boots levitation from mounted heroes so now it's i think it's been set on this back podcast already um it goes to infantry and heavy infantry only so that takes the edge off uh, a little bit in that specific scenario but i think overall Casters are going to have a, a great year uh, in Kings, and and so you better be prepared for that. I think a lot of lists are going to need to build in 15 to, to 30 points um, if you're lucky enough to be able to take two Hex, um, two hex spells. I think Hex is, its time has come, um, even more so than before. You really need to think about how do I swap and push points around to get some Hex in there, because I... You're just going to really need it. I feel like every single time a new army or book has been released, we've said this is hex is going to be even more important than ever. But this <laughs> might, I agree with you, this might finally be the year of hex <laughs> where everyone takes at least one source. Yeah, I think, and hex three is going to be very, very valuable. The sort of weird thing I've always is like, I remember the old Warhammer days where you had sort of scroll caddies. You had people whose entire job it was just carry a dispel scroll or something else to sort of help shut down the opponent's magic phase because magic was so strong. And I don't think we're anywhere near that degree, but I do think that it's like you need to have a plan for certain wizards. Um, and Hex is a very good version of that. And I, I will say it again, even though I've been wrong multiple times in the past. Uh, and I'd rather be too early than too late. Uh, Hex is going to be a big deal this year. Well, just think about like goblin casters. I don't know exactly how cheap they get. I think they might be 25 points now. Way too cheap. They're negative points. We pay Jeff O'Neill. It's like eating eating lettuce. You burn more calories than the actual uh, lettuce itself. Yeah, Jeff O'Neill actually gets to play twenty four ninety five at Masters, which is the, the free goblin stuff. It's gotten so cheap. Think about it. They don't even have to pay for Lightning Bolt 3 anymore, that small, minuscule amount of points. Now they can just go, and, and goblins are unique in that they can take Hex uh, you know, as kind of a base spell on their on their whizzes. So just three Hex whizzes plus, you know, throw in an Alchemist Curse, throw in Lightning Bolt uh, 3 with, uh, with an item to bump it up to 5. What does Twilight Kin also not want to see is uh, goblins with triple hex casters uh, on their whizzes. So I think it's it's going to be armies with cheap casters that can take three of them um, and be under 150 points or 200 points for the package is just going to be a really good idea for the armies that can do that. 
Do you think that will maybe we'll see a bigger, we might see people taking more of the sort of individuals with duelist or, or uh, character hunters, RPR, or are those wizards so cheap that it's not even worth trying to send something after to kill them? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. It's, it's really difficult against good players. I've found to effectively neuter those units with, with, combat characters i think a single combat character is a good idea universally but no i don't i don't think so i think it's going to be spell versus spell this this time around total output just shooting stuff with lightning bolt and hex and weakness that damages for me what always look at as someone who's been playing the game you know a while now and has seen a lot of the lists and really what I enjoy more than anything about this game is people coming up with new ideas, new lists and just thinking, you know, wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, what type of new lists are possible in this clash of Kings? So that, that makes me focus on things like um, the caskets giving scout to, you know, in the empire of dust list, which the guys were talking about um, in the, the review of the list that just came out today. Um, as it was, we're recording tonight that, you know, I don't know if that's going to be good or not, but it gives the possibility that there's a cool scouting EOD list out there that someone's going to figure out and it's going to be, going to be awesome. It's probably going to be, you know, Jonathan Quayle, if, uh, if it's going to be anybody. Um, so that's one of them. Another one is, you know, beast Cav in kingdoms of men. You don't have to choose between, um, vicious and flying speed 10 anymore. So you can have your human dracons now as everybody always dreamed in, in kingdoms of men. Um, so you combine that with their extremely well-costed, you know, medium flyers and 65 point flying whizzes for chaff. Um, now that you don't even have to take lightning bolt. I think there's a really interesting mass flying kingdoms of men list out there that can be, that can be done now. Uh, so that's the second one. The third one that comes to mind is um, Longhorns in the in the herd going from speed. Uh, I'm sorry, defense four to defense five. I think that it's totally possible that there is an excellent mass Longhorn uh, herd list out there that um, you can pull off now that they are a little bit more survivable and playable. And they rally. So that's that's a fun one. I ran like six troops of Longhorns way back in second edition for a while. And it was hilarious when it actually made contact, but it died very quickly to any shooting. So defense five with rally is a lot of fun. And we're also getting new scenarios, right? And uh, though they are sort of plays on the scenarios we are, we are, we already know and love, whenever you change and add new ways to play the game, that's also like a ingredient. You don't, you don't know fully what that's going to lead to either in scenario design. Tom plays in Texas. They're always new scenarios. That is true. Well, thinking about those two, you know, they're both get to the middle and fight scenarios. I mean, again, another another great episode of Countercharge um, with Keith Conroy and, and Alex Chavez talking about the new scenarios. Hold the line. You can't stay back in your deployment zone. So, you you know, if you want to be a dwarf player and stick four troops of sharpshooters back there, that, that'll work in control, but it's not going to work in hold the line. And so I think there's a, a lot of lists need to build in three to five units that can just 
go up and fight for multiple turns. Um, Cause if you just concede and hang back and hang back and hang back and lose board space, you're going to be way behind and especially in that stockpile scenario. So um, I think they might actually, that, that may end up being the most significant thing to come out of the clash of Kings, maybe unsurprisingly given how much Kings is a scenario focused game, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I meant to mention it earlier. A week or so after this episode, we are going to be doing an episode, and and we've titled it in honor of Jesse. It's going to be the Flag Guy episode, and we're going to be covering in more detail all the new standard bearers and what they give to their faction. So just FYI, as you're listening, we mentioned that a few times. Standard bearers, a lot of standard bearers have special rules now, a little extra bonus to your army. But stay tuned. We're going to be doing an episode covering all that later later in the month. Like, if you can't remember, it's probably Strider. Exactly. Yeah, but we'll talk a little bit about that through that lens specifically on what they mean for the different armies specifically. Like, now, since an army has access to that, how that might change your list building. So just FYI, stay tuned for that. So we've talked about some of the buffs, changes to armies. Let's touch base on some of the adjustments. You know, one we see, we see a few things in Forces of Nature, right? We see the upgrade of Ringham Harmony that allows the double casting Druids gone up a couple of points. But maybe more importantly, a big one people were curious about Scorchwings. They've now gone up a little bit in points. Scorchwings are a very good unit, but things are allowed to be good and things are allowed to be scary the problem was is when you had eight of them so there there's a cost increase for them that limits their spam ability you're losing some of the key components you would need if you're bringing only scorch wings but they're still a good unit that does cool things which is you know what what's allowed to be in the game so that's really interesting and then the the greater air elementals got the sort of two attack nerf where they're dropped down to attacks eight, which for me is a really good sort of solve for it because it they still do the cool stuff that they're supposed to do. They still have crushing one. They're still nimble. They still have pathfinder. They still shamble. So they come in the side. They're still a super useful, scary piece to have in the army. But being two attacks lighter is actually the, the key point to it is it's a nerf of four attacks in the flank because that's really what you're worried about. And, you know, six attacks in the rear. It's, it's never the front air elemental charge. Like, they can sometimes do that. They'll catch people out and just charge the front when people aren't paying attention and, and allow them to uh, get a soft target. But usually it's the flank you're worried about. So that nerf of two attacks is really a nerf of four attacks, bringing them from 20 to 16. Uh, and now some of those things are, are surviving that shouldn't have and in the old, old version, and you can get crackbacks and you can, you know, do stuff back to them. See, I love that change because it's very difficult and it speaks to like what it's supposed to be able to do is, you know, a greater air, especially if your opponent's running multiples, it's got to get into a flank at some point. And it's like, I'm okay with that, but I'm not as okay with no matter what it charges in the flank it's killing. You know, that's the issue. So I think that this is a nice change. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Does that bring the air elemental in line for you guys? Yeah, I, I much prefer that they went that route versus some other things that I've seen players like Adam Baller talk about, which is make them a Titan, you know, put them on a 75, make it more difficult to get flanks that way. I like the the 50 by 50 for the air elementals. I think 75 by 75 might might just be a little bit too difficult to get flanks. 
So I, I, I like that a lot. The Scorch Wings, you know, is just an issue. If you don't make units pay for rules, then the people that are inclined to spam are going to spam it and be playing, you know, um, 200 points up on us or whatever it is. So that was absolutely versus changing stats, the right thing to do. Just make them pay for the stats that they already have. The air elemental 75 thing is like not exactly comparison, but like how often are we seeing the EOD worm? Not at all, right? Not, 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 never. You know, not, not exactly comparable, but it is a similar unit type. It's just running around on a 75, and that's the reason people aren't taking it. I like the drop to eight because it's more in line with other monsters. Because, like, there aren't, like, 10 attacks on a monster base is relatively unique. Uh, so I think, you know, seven to eight, six to eight attacks on a monster base seem, feels a bit more correct to me as well so i think it's just a bit for the attack density i like it and have you talked to jeff uh about that tom does does that point increase the scorch wings does that make his list like unrunnable i've never looked at it that closely points wise yeah i mean i i've beaten it with my dwarf list before and i think with that points increase we agreed that i would beat it more often than not he would just have to play pure scenario anticipating that you know at alamo he's running his models as eight hordes of uh, forsaken from the green lady so <laughs> okay another friendly army yeah exactly oh geez louise yeah he came out with the announcement that he will not be playing scorch wings at alamo and it, it definitely felt like a just kidding found better right <laughs> 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 Yeah, what's the second sentence in that statement is what I want to ask. I'm not playing this. Okay, well then, what else have you found that's really good that if you take all of it? Uh, so the the other, another nerf is the goblins got, the the war trombones got a little bit more expensive and the bangets got toned down a little bit going from Blast D3 to Blast D2. Uh, you know, I I want to say not as not a goblin player, that was pretty reasonable nerfs to try to tilt tilt things away from just the the full frontal nudity take all the shooting lists um but i don't know if you're going to be seeing bang it when you can take you know whizzes for 25 points now so we'll see how much of an actual negative that is haven't changed groany at all or the formation so i think goblins are still doing pretty well one uh, i don't know i don't know if i would call it a um loss or a nerf or a but a loser to me is still sad. It's still my uh, base aliens. Um, I hear I say this as, you know, people are winning with them. And it's not the fact that I don't think they are a good army. There is just elements of the army that I wish was a little bit more engaging. You know, sisterhood, you know, they have done some, you know, the, the Pantherhood chariots are going to pick up Brutal, which is nice, I guess. But I still feel like the Sisterhood, you know, also getting the Sisterhood infantry are picking up Rampage to just give them a little extra attack. But I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on Basalia? I wonder if it's needs refresh, a more holistic refresh or. They're in my meh category, along with like elves and undead, where it's like. They weren't like in a terrible place before, but they didn't really get much love. Like they, they did nothing really changed. Like nothing about how they play is really going to change. Feel a little bit they have for the past like three years still. 
They have phoenixes now. Yeah, except with phoenixes. Yeah. Which are amazing. They got nerfed slightly. <laughs> so. The thing I find really tough with Pisalians is that they have a very, very good list in there that uses like four unit entries. And like, how do you make lists for that army that use a much wider, varied set of uh, unit entries outside of, you know, Alohi, Phoenixes, and, and a few other things um, without like completely overpowering those other things? Like, if you're buffing si- Sisterhood so that they're like, now you will you'll be choosing between them and Alohi. It's like that's a really dangerous place to be from a design standpoint of like trying to replace Alohi or something else in the list and and get better or like make people choose. So it's they're in a tough spot where they have I think a very competitive viable like a list and what you're trying to do is build like list variants and trying to build like different options for generals to use to like select different styles. And to make them compete against that very good list is a very, like, narrow line to try and land on. So the attempt was made around Sisterhood. Like, how do you make Sisterhood different and interesting? And we'll just sort of see as people get a hold of it and start trying to figure out and pilot it if, if that was a success or not. But it's it's a hard line to sort of get right. And maybe there is a build in there with, with where you're... Uh as the game maybe goes a little bit more towards finding ways to have the MMU playstyle, right? Where, where you're picking up infantry regiments or more infantry, maybe those, like you said, those changes will be enough. It's just, it's hard to tell now until we actually see the games. There's a lot of changes that are kind of uh, in this clash of Kings that are, are quality of life, like the, the iron resolve army special rule kind of getting, reworded um, to something that allows it to integrate with other items and and things in the game a little bit more easily, but don't really change the power level of the army. And I would actually say most changes in this clash of Kings are of of that variety or, or they are global changes that are affecting all the armies equally. And so, you know, there are some lists like, the Basilians where they get, you know, their dragons now have unit strength too. That's amazing. They're war wizards. I don't have to pay for lightning bolt. If I want to take alchemist curse, you know, that's amazing. Um, things like that. Um, you know, the sisterhood scouts are, are getting a little bit better. Um, even though the unit strength is going down to two, which we should mention glide, glade suckers across the game, are getting uh, a slight nerf, um, getting a unit strength drop down to unit strength two, like a shooting unit versus unit strength three, like a, a melee unit would get, um, which is welcome to me. All the armies are getting good changes that make their army and their units better. It's just not every change is a meta defining one. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, another interesting thing about, uh, base aliens is that the, uh, Sisterhood scouts are getting vicious flat, right? Moving it away from vicious ranged, which again makes sense to me uh, because they're they're like I like the idea of scouts that can fight a little bit, you know, still that unit strength too, uh, because they do shoot. So I, maybe there is a sisterhood scout list in there somewhere uh, with scouts and infantry, and I don't know. Or maybe if you know if you're going to play Basilea, you're just going to 
and, and you want to play at the cutting edge, right? You're going to play the Alohi and Knights and, or sorry, Alohi and uh, Dragon and all the special, Elo, you know, Julius, Sam or Chris or whatever. Jeremy is still trying to make the sex, sexy sisterhood scouts work. I do. I do. I mean, it's my dream. Once, once Mantic is ready to do that, just don't change the rules until they have the sisterhood, sisterhood hard plastic kit ready that makes the chariots, the scouts are the infantry. Do something like that, or I don't know. Uh, we're, let's get off wish listing and let's talk about reality, okay, fellas? None of this fantasy land talk. So we say the best for last. We've talked a little bit about it, and we do have an in-depth army review coming up with myself, Elliot Morish, and Corey Reynolds, where we do a complete our, uh, Twilight Kin army breakdown. But obviously, it's on the cover of the book. The lore is amazing. That's one thing I got to say. The Twilight Kin lore in this Clash of Kings book is really good. It's probably one of the best pieces of lore I've read in Panathor or Mantica, whatever you want to say. It's really good. But let's talk Twilight Kin. Like, what do we think about sort of where they're coming in? Are are they a top army? Is it all hype? Or what what do we think about the Twilight Kin? Sound like a broken record, but I think, you know, like you're saying, there's like the you know the boogeyman 42 lightning bolt list but i think there's a lot of different options that the list presents which i think is a strength of all three of the new lists that they've they've come out with this summer and this i think twilight kid really embodies that so i think you have multiple good units that you can build a core around and then you have excellent support i think a lot of the fun with the twilight kid is going to be what what are you using to unlock all the fun stuff? Because there's cool monsters and characters that are all they're going to be doing a lot of neat stuff, but like you need to unlock them, and, so, and even irregular units that you need to unlock. So, you know, are you going to do you know more, more corsair heavy or impalers or what? How are you going to do the core of your army to really build the character out with like all the heroes and monsters? So I think. That's going to be a really fun thing to see how people, you know, what different directions people go with it. And I think it's going to be very strong in with multiple builds. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's basically three theme lists in one list, which I don't know, but maybe could be a, a way forward into the future is maybe we want to pare down the number of army lists there are while still retaining, you know, the same number of options. Because it really is, you have a, a Twilight Elf theme, you have a Void Touch theme, and you have a, a Crone Bound Night Stalker-ish theme. And each one, I think you can build toward and get, build one or two or three really good lists um, just from that theme. And so I, I love that about the list. I love the synergies, as Alex has, has talked about a couple times. It just seems like that's the direction that the RC and Mantic are going toward as they kind of refresh all these lists is, is build in synergies between units, um, make sure everything has a place. And, and this is the Twilight Kingdom is just the poster child for that. Um, as far as their effect on the meta, I said this earlier, but I think the, the only thing really unbalanced about them is their prevalence of, of spell damage that doesn't take cover modifiers. I think that everything else is totally, it's strong, but it's fair. And it's nothing that uh, a lot of the other nasty lists running around can't, can't deal with. 
And so, you know, I don't believe the Weaver hype. We'll see. I, good players winning with that list, I think, will happen one or two or three times. I don't know that that means it's it's the top of the game and is ruining the game or anything. Um, I think that's that's a total overreaction, and I, maybe I could be wrong, but I I don't think I am. And so I'm I'm really excited about it. There's nothing. It's it's a fun synergistic list that I think is is fun to play against, even when you're getting you know triple weakness when you when you go in on the charge. It's still a fun fair list to fight against and play. And I mean, I played the list where you take the three regiments of weavers with lightning bolt, you take the two mind screeches and the planer, you take the three crones, you know, where you get up to the 42, 46, 48 lightning bolt. And my experience with that list is all it takes is one bad turn. You're rolling fours or fives if things are in cover. And then if you're playing against any sort of fast army, they're charging you on turn two or turn three. Not to say that that list won't abuse people at mid tables or crush a tournament that doesn't have on that any given Sunday. They, there isn't a fast list there or a list to deal with that. But I think playing against the field or the aggregate I will be surprised if that is the list that rises to the surface as a, a, a true uh, nasty or a true uh, boogeyman list, just with how uh, quickly it can far, fall apart when you're still basing things on hitting on fours or fives. Yeah, I think it's a classic like gatekeeper list, that list that exists in the meta and people are scared of, and your list should have an answer to that, but is not going to be the one that's taking down big events. Um, I think it's going to be that thing that floats around and you're like, oh man, like you'll have some local player that does it and everyone will know and you don't let them play the new person <laughs> on like their first, their second week of coming to play Kings of War. You're like, yeah, don't, don't pair those up together. Uh, but once you have some sort of games under your belt against it, that it can win some of the time, but not enough to be like, a true kind of dominant force, but I think it will be around enough to shape the meta in a sense that it's like, it's there it exists. It gatekeepers. You have to have an answer for it or just hope you don't face it. But I don't think it's going to be the dominant one. I don't know what the dominant one is. I, I am not sure. I just think there's a lot of cool units in the list and the right way for people to put them together is going to be interesting to see. Um, I think the Gorge Rake is exactly what I want to see in a sub 200 point, you know, <laughs> uh, flyer, you know, nimble strider crush two, and some kind of fluff assurance with void charge beast. You know, if, if the Gorge Rake existed in any other army I play, I would take a ton of them. And I think that's a, a really cool, uh, stat profile, even at speed eight, um, because of that flying nimble strider, it can do some some tricky stuff. Yeah, and we recorded the army review this morning, and you guys picked up a lot of things that was discussed about that army review, which is, how do I unlock? The unlock question is really hard in Twilight Kin, because there are a lot of stuff that you want to take that takes unlocks, and you're, you're basic, there's a lot of great choices to unlock with. Oh, impalers. Oh, no, I have to take impalers. Yeah, Impalers are great. The Fleet Wardens are great. The, I mean, there's so many different choices that are all really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, having playtested a bunch, like I've said this before, I'm like a broken record. It is a good army, but I think 
once you see it on the table, the things you think are oppressive, as your army has also gotten better through Clash, most likely, I don't think you're going to be like, oh my god, there's nothing I can do to beat this army. And I've said it before, things are allowed to be good. Yeah. Like, things are things are allowed to be scary. This is a, a fantasy miniatures war game. You you should be scared of things in your opponent's list. If, you, if you're walking up to your opponent's list and just saying, like, none of this worries me. I have an answer for everything. Oh, well. Like, how fun is that as a game? Well, every once in a while, someone complains, like, oh, I wish I had, like, my Soul Reaver, you know, Crush 2, Thunder 1, Soul Reaver's back or whatever, Defense 6. You're like, but then you're also hear people complaining, like, when things are actually good again and they're not even nearly that good right so <laughs> this is one of those where it's like it's a hard line to land on like what is good and scary versus too good and too scary and completely spammable and broken but like just because something is good and like messed you up on the table one day doesn't mean it's broken there's another uh layer to something being actually broken and i think a lot of the twilight kin list is good and hopefully not broken I was just going to say, but it, it totally does suck to get triple weakness when you're charging into Jeremy's battle line. Let's not sugarcoat that. That is. He says that and still, and then crushes me in the game. So I don't care if it's unfun for you. You're winning. <laughs> it's not unfun. I'm just saying it sucks. That's the play style thing, though. Like, Jeremy is sort of got burned by his Alpha Strike Basilia just not working, like charging in and then just hanging up that he's now heel turned into the counter punching like warm hug of embrace of death like empire of dust and now uh twilight can that just like absorbs all of your it's like the steven seagal keto master of armies where it's like yes i absorb what you're doing and then flip you away that's basically true (laughs) and i think like to your point brinton like there's a lot of really cool stuff like across the board that's happening in this clash of kings so i think i think it's just going to be a lot of fun just seeing the new level of problem solving that happens because like twilight kin is a whole new set of problems for people to solve and to figure out from the list building standpoint and then there's going to be a lot of new tools in a lot of different armies like i just like abyssal dwarves salamanders rift forged orcs like halflings they have so many more tools now i think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how everything shakes out I just love Clash Season 2, right? Because it's always fall. Christmas is on its way. It's like we get all these new toys. It's just, it's you know, sometimes right before Clash, there's a, a malaise or a little bit of, uh, it, right? For a couple weeks or a month before Clash, people kind of stop thinking about new ideas or building new stuff because they don't know what's coming. So I think I just always enjoy this time of year when we get a new Clash book. It's an exciting time. So we're hanging out at Jeremy's house. And we're going to build a time capsule. What clash question do you have that you hope to have answered six months from now? In much the same way that Britain and I were talking about, is this finally, 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 when we see Hex, um, as much as we think we should see Hex, is the phalanx points decrease across the board. Uh, all armies are getting it. Does that finally bring phalanx out? to where I think it should be, which is taken a lot more in a lot of these factions. I think spear regiments, and this is something Adam Ballard has said before, so it's not original to me, but in certain armies, spear phalanx regiments are are excellent and should be taken more often, and now maybe they will be. 
And so that's that's my big question. I think so, but I'm just the the thing that I always find with that is they are super efficient for sort of unit strength and slight defensive stats on a cheap unit. It is still because of the problems we spoke about with infantry earlier, it is still very hard to like make that a cornerstone of your list. I will, however, mention two things. One, uh, that spear phalanx and the aforementioned Kingdoms of Men is starting to look a little sexier. 180 points for the Horde, 110 for the Regiment, 120 with Ensnare. So that's 120 point Ensnare Phalanx Regiment, which I think has Unit Strength 3. So spam that up along with your new uh, Human Dracons and your Flying Circus and... I think I think we got a list there, Tom. Well, that's the thing. You just you still need to kill things like the the, the phalanx infantry. The first the first part, you know, you have to overcommit to be able to kill them, and then you have to be able to punish triple giant and spear phalanxes. Spear phalanxes. Let's go. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not I'm not playing nice with this. I'm thinking things like my dwarf masters list, but with the ironclad now all bulwarkers, <laughs> like ceremonial guard with life leech. <laughs> No, that's a good one. Is this, along with, is this the year that fa- uh, Hex is finally, the Hex meta, is this the year that Phalanx isn't just an accident where you're like, oh, I have Phalanx and you, <laughs> have, cal- <laughs> you, you have cavalry. Sick. Yeah. Um, yeah, as as there's more alpha and more stuff out there that's meant to just fly across the board and crack all of your soft units, uh, cheap Phalanx could be the, the new soft unit meta or hard unit meta. Um that's an interesting one. For me, it is the like Night Stalkers, Northern Alliance, Twilight Kin all got big changes or buffs or or whatever. And that like second wave of those lists. Like not the theory hammered blank bases list or the I think this is immediately broken spam, but like people are now six, eight months, a year down the road and have had a chance to play something in multiple events workshop hobby something up and come out like what are the second generation northern alliance twilight kin and like new night stalker builds like the uh, twilight king wrangler spam list that's killing everyone right now in the meta that you know what i mean where it's like stuff you didn't even think of or look at or whatever is the list that we're talking about just that chance where it's like we're sort of seeing it and it and it all depends it's like it takes a while for it to shake out, but we're sort of seeing, we saw some early halfling stuff that was interesting, but it was kind of like halfling Stan for lack of a better words that were playing it. You know, people who just really wanted to play halflings and then trying to make it work and sometimes work really well. The sort of next generation where it's had a few cracks at events and we're seeing the, the next level thinking around those things. Um, I'm really looking forward to and would like to see what's coming out on top at that phase. Along those lines, I'm just, I'm curious to see what, what shakes up at the top, which armies are going to be the top three, four, like are the big ones going to get moved off the, off their podium by, by March or whatever. Who, if are people going to figure out has it has enough changed to really mix up the top three or four lists. Yeah, I'm like I'm really interested. What are we gonna see? It's now October, right? So November, December, January, February, March. What are we gonna see come Adepticon and Lone Wolf? You know what I mean? Those both tournaments, one's five months from now, one's six six months from now. That's enough time to to maybe not complete from scratch a high end hobby army, but you can 
you can get a lot done in five to six months. So I'm really curious to see uh, those to me are two tournaments that are coming to my mind as like the clash releasing. Now I'm curious to see what, what's going to be play, what people are taking into those, those events. And I think probably what you'll see is, I, I don't know if like abyssal doors, for example, and they got a ton of really cool changes, um, which you will see shortly. I, they will definitely jump up in sort of the the power rankings. I don't think they're going to jump up to you know a top three army. I, I think the armies that might jump up are going to be the ones right below that just got better, like Empire Dust or you know Ratkin or something that are maybe not top three right now, but definitely you know top ten, fifteen and make that make that jump i think that's where we should look you know in another eight eight months six to eight months yeah i definitely really am excited about abyssal dwarf changes just because there are so many but i i, def- I agree like i think it's a, they're there to do what they've done in the past like better and a little bit differently but I, i'm not sure that it's going to be enough to be like top top tier like s tier kind of army but i am excited as always for new, a reason to paint more rats this the phalanx change is going to be really nice for ratkin as well well cool fellas obviously we can't touch on everything the book is all great clash books are there's tons of stuff in there tons of stuff we didn't put in there buy the book it's a beautiful book it seems like each book that comes out from mantic the art's getting better and better yes Uh, if you're interested in the twilight kin definitely read the lore in there it's super good uh well written very interesting but let's go around the horn. Any final thoughts on this year's clash? My hope is that it first and foremost does the job it's supposed to do, which is get folks excited about playing Kings of War, either getting new toys or having that thing that they hated in the game, you know, slightly toned down or changed or given new tools to deal with it. But really we talk about it as a meta refresh or whatever. And that that's a very sort of technical sounding term, but it's really just about like, it's cool stuff. It's cool new stuff to use changes to make build options to try units that were overlooked to maybe get out on the table units that you've shelved to get back out on the table. Um, so I really just hope it's it's achieving that for people that it's just an exciting time to like get back on the table and play Kings of War because it's a game I love so much. So I just want people to be as excited about it as I am. I think you know there was last year's Clash of Kings was a thought is not a very exciting one for a lot of people I know, and this one I think makes up for that in spades. Like it's like this is going to reinvigorate the meta in any region. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun for a lot, give you a lot more opportunities for modeling. And I think I keep saying the word, but like the synergies that are brought to so many different armies are going to be a lot of fun to just test out and even just like relearn, like what, how you're going to play your army. Like it's not, you might not even have to change that much in the lists that you're running currently. Just the, how things interact with each other is going to change, which is going to be a lot of fun. So I think this is going to provide, I think I'm very hopeful that Brinton's right. Like, I think this is going to provide a, a, a nice, refreshing problem set for everybody. So I'm, I'm excited. I will say, you know, there may be some fans of some factions that, you know, I'm thinking specifically Trident Realm and, and Forces of the Abyss that might be a little bit underwhelmed. I will say, you know, just wait. I've seen some of the ideas about what, 
the lists might be like in a couple months um, when, you know, the the teased um, refresh of the model ranges comes out. Your time is coming soon. Don't be too disappointed if you didn't get as many changes as some of these other factions got. Just chill. <laughs> It'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, Blake. Blake, oh man, I, I, I drove with Blake playing Forces of the Abyss to... Uh, Refugees of the Old World in a nine-hour car ride. I got to hear plenty about his opinion on Forces of the Abyss. I love you, Blake. Just uh, stay the course. You, you, you just you know, bide your time. It will happen. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm excited. You know, I'm playing three games a week on UB. So to me, that's a good sign when you're excited and and like I would be playing more if I could get more people to play me on UB, and uh, you know I'm, I'm messaging Tom and I've been playing with Keith Randall and Ryan and a, and a bunch of people. So uh, thank you to everyone humoring me to get games in on UB. But it's exciting. This is a fun. Like Alex talked about a problem set that you have to solve. That's one of the things I love about wargaming and list building and stuff. It's a, it's a problem that you, I don't think ever fully solve, but it's super fun to try to solve it. And trying to solve it is always so fresh and fun when we get like clash of Kings updates. So I know a lot of us are going to be, you're going to be building lists, sharing lists with your friends, you know, talking about, is this good? Is that good? What, you know, should I take this? Should I take that? And that's just for a war gamer. That's like a really exciting way to get through your your daily work where you have to be a normie you can be on your on your phone on the manta companion building lists when you take your bathroom breaks so well on that note stay tuned we're going to be doing a lot of army reviews as tom mentioned if you haven't listened to the empire of dust review go check it out it's fully within the new clash of kings changes twilight kin was just recorded will be out soon and we're going to be doing some army reviews for stuff that we've done armies reviews in the past but maybe we haven't talked about them recently and we're going to try to get you guys some new voices some friendly familiar voices to try to get insights on these armies definitely staying tuned for that anything else any other shout outs you guys want to do for events you're going to soon or our other project any other shout outs before we wrap up the show i mean i will just forever plug west region tournaments that we have upcoming we have anything to sort of fit the time of the year that you want to visit us out here and come meet some friendly faces. So I'll give the quick shout outs to those, which is in September each year, middle of September, Bay of Kings in San Diego. We have a barbecue. It's a waterside venue. It's a great time. Come out, contact me for details in November and March. The Reno crew runs there two tournaments, April fools and, or sorry, not March, uh, November and April. Um, November, they run a Jackalopes tournament. And in April, they run April Fool's tournament. Both really good crew. And then we have one of our marquee events out here, Riddle of Steel, Conan-themed in February in Orange County. And February is a great time of year to get out of most of the country and come to Orange County and drink whiskey in a hot tub and play Kings of War. So uh, contact me or Jeremy if you want any information about any of those. Please come out. We'd love to see you. Yeah, Tom, when are you going to come get in a hot tub with me already, man? You just every year I get disappointed. Tell me, tell me which one I should come to next year. and I will try to do that. Well, that is definitely since Britain is on here. You should definitely come to go to Bay of Kings brought to you by Britain Williams. Riddle is also great. Any of the events. So, yeah, it's all great. We just want to get you out here. If you haven't been out to California, we will take care of you full stop ask anyone who's come out to a tournament we will we we will take care of you because we realize that to get to our tournaments you have to travel and we respect that and you will be treated like a king 
and play some Kings of War. So definitely come make it out to the West if you can. I'll just shout out Dash 28. I have uh, putting the finishing touches now on uh, Twilight Kin Army tier review, uh, as, as we do for all the armies there on Dash 28. I know it's Jake Cherpika's goal to get all of the armies updated, all the, the articles updated with this new uh, Clash of Kings that's coming out. So, you know, hopefully that will be rolling out at a steady clip over the next uh, few months. Um, it's going to be a big project uh, for for everybody, but I think it's it's a good time to refresh everything. Twilight Ken, all S-tier. <laughs> And then, you know, I'm recording a, an army review with Rob on, on Tuesday. So um, you're going to be hearing a lot of what uh, I think in the near future, uh, including this podcast. But let me jump on the back of that and say Dash 28 is it has a staff of writers. Staff is a strong word for a loosely organized group chat of people who devote too much time to blathering on about Kings of War. The tier list for 28 armies is a giant endeavor, updating them all, refreshing them, etc. for what's going on now is a big undertaking. So we would love your help. If you are listening to this and you are a player of one of those factions and have a you know, passionate view on where these things rank and are looking to, to help us out, uh, contact Jake. He can see if he can set you up with one of the armies to do the tier review on or some other way of helping contribute to Dash 28. Just reach out to Jake. He's really good people um, and we could use the help because it's a lot of armies and a lot of units. So getting them all updated is a, is a huge undertaking. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. If you want to get involved in content creation or game writing, why not? You know, you get your stuff up on a website. So that would be a great opportunity. So that's a cool, cool thing you guys are doing, trying to let more people from the community come in and contribute. You get to rub shoulders with such hobby heroes as Mike Adkins uh, and Jessica Townsend. And then you get to rub shoulders with such filth mongers as Keith Randall and Tom Annis. So we have all bases covered. And maybe one day someone will argue with you about something that was written in an article, not realizing that you were the person who wrote that article. That's a dream. I know Britons live that dream. Uh, it is a dream that you, you too can achieve. Someone in an online argument cited my own article in an argument <laughs> against me, which is classy. Oh, very funny. Well, thanks, fellas. I appreciate it for coming on. Thank you. I always love getting my scrying gems together. The scrying gem meta. Oh, heretic games. But really happy to have you guys on. Stay tuned for more army reviews coming up. And then if you have any ideas, uh, just as... Britain uh, mentions Dash 28. As far as countercharge, we love hearing ideas from the community about episodes. We just had one recently about unintentional gatekeeping. So if you have an idea for an episode, let Rob or let myself know. And more than that, if we like the idea, we're probably going to have ask you to come on and host the show with us. We love trying to get voices from the community onto the show and really try to create a space where countercharge is not only a podcast you listen to, but we're all part of one big family, so let us know if you have any cool show ideas. On that note, remember to always keep counter-charging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Counter-Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Counter-Charge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. 
If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 